Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's Backbone. I've known this next guest since I was 12 years old, so she won't mind if I promote just a little wee bit during her intro. If you get a chance or if you haven't already, please take a moment to rate this podcast and review it on iTunes. It makes a massive difference in getting the word out there. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your podcast app or on SoundCloud. Welcome to episode 54. My very special guest is Juliet Fisher. I'm sitting here with Juliet Fisher in Southern California. How are you, Juliet? Welcome to Broadway's Backbone. Thank you. I'm so excited you're interviewing me. I'm so excited, too. We actually met when you were 12 years old on the school bus. Yes. Uh, we've been very... 10 very, short years ago. Yeah, 10 short years ago. <laughs> we've, been, we've actually stayed in touch, which I think is amazing. So I'm glad you're doing this. Stories will just unfold. Okay. I'm going to read your major credits. In New York City, you did A Christmas Carol. On Broadway, you did On the Town. You did the Chicago National Tour, you did the Kiss Me Kate National Tour, and you'll forever be known, also, I'm crazy for you, as the tapping Toshu girl on... That was PBS. That was PBS. So, where are you from and how did you get started? Well, I'm from... Okay, so I was born in Florida, but I don't have many memories of that. We moved to Texas when I was really little, and that's where I started dancing, in Texas. So I got... I started dancing actually pretty late for a girl, which I was about nine and a half. And I started in one of those summer programs where you do jazz, tap, and ballet all in one hour. And I think you spend more time changing your shoes than you actually <laughs> do, you know, the stuff. But the teacher there said, uh, I think she saw something in me. So she told me to go to the one dance. There's one dance studio in McKinney, Texas, which is where I was from. One dance studio. So she's like, you should probably go there. So it was McKinney School of Dance Arts. And it was just ballet. I mean, I think they offered other stuff, but I just took ballet. That was my love that was my forte that was what I wanted to do and so that's where I really got started and it was just just strictly ballet wow and then so how long did you do that and stay in Texas I saw it from I started at you know nine and a half and then I don't think we moved we moved to California when I was 12 or right yeah it, it was my 12th year yeah so from nine to 12 I was doing ballet there and that's where you know when you do classical ballet you the big thing is to audition for these summer programs that take you to the major ballet schools mm. across the country where you do a five or six week program during the summer and my first year was when i was in texas i auditioned for a couple of them i can't remember um and you had to be 13 so we lied and we said i was 13 but i was really only 12. i got accepted to pacific northwest ballet in seattle oh wow and that was big i mean for a little girl from mckinney texas to get accepted you know i was the only one in my studio that got accepted anywhere and so it was a big deal and so again for me to go from mckinney to seattle you know i had to fly by myself you stay with a group of girls but no parents yeah. you know so i mean it was it was a huge growing experience doing that and so that was a big, that was a big summer for me. And then that next year we moved to California. At that point I had only taken ballet like twice a week. I really wasn't taking it much. Oh. And so when I went to PNB in Seattle, the teacher said, no, no, you need to take every day. So when we moved to San Diego, I started taking every day. And so that year I grew exponentially as a dancer. Um, and so the following summer, I remember it was like, it was like applying to colleges because I went, I think I auditioned for five different schools. And I got five acceptance letters. You did? I accepted all of them. And at the time, and SAB, which is uh, New York City Ballet School, School of American Ballet, that, was, that and San Francisco Ballet were the two biggest and best companies for ballerinas. And I got accepted on full scholarship to both. So I was like so excited. 
so yeah, that summer I did five weeks in New York City and three weeks in San Francisco. So that was huge. Well, I didn't realize you did both in the same summer. I did a half or half oh. at San Francisco, yeah. So I was gone for eight weeks and it was crazy because literally in New York City they don't provide housing. So at 13 years old, I stayed in a studio apartment by myself at 13 years old. Oh my gosh. Isn't that nuts? Like I look back on that now and I think my son's 12. There's no way I'm letting him go by yeah. himself to New York City. Are yeah. you kidding me? Do you let him go to Starbucks by himself? No. <laughs> no. I mean, it was cr- so yeah, looking back on it, it was nuts. I can't believe my parents actually let me do that. Oh, this, I, I think that's amazing. It was awesome. You learn, you know, you learn so much traveling. What is that, that Mark Twain saying? You know, the way to get rid of racism is to travel, you know, because oh, yeah. you see other places and other cultures and people. And it really just opened my mind up and broadened my horizons huge yeah i love that well that's right around the time i met you and you uh, Mm -hmm. i remember you had a retainer on that that day oh yeah well that was that was the next year that was a great year for me (laughs) (laughs) it was so cool when everyone met you because you've been to all these places and you were like the prima ballerina uh, at our performing arts school who else had done that at that age how much of your like your skill when it comes to flexibility and everything like that was natural or did that come as you because you can still do it at your age now. You know what, saying a part of why I loved ballet so much was to be quite honest, it came really easily to mm. me because like I said, I started late, but I had so much natural ability that, that just helps you in dance. I had very pointy feet. That's natural. I was hyper flexible without trying. Um, I have very long limbs and these are all things that are so conducive to ballet. And if you don't have those, it's going to be a harder road for you. Mm. It's just going to be harder, which I think is why some people don't like ballet because it's just hard for them. Yeah. But my body just took to it so naturally. I had a natural turnout. I didn't have to work for any of that. The stuff I had to work for was the strength to hold my legs up, you know, to develop it up there and hold it. I had to work for all the strength, but all that other stuff was very natural. And so I had a, I had a huge advantage in that respect, yeah. you know. So I think that's why I love ballet so much, you know. It was just, and it made sense to me too. There's something about ballet that's scientific, you know. You turn your foot out here and you pull up, and all of a sudden you can do a pirouette. And if if you can look at it in the scientific way, it was just like it was like doing math for me. I just liked figuring out how my body could do these things, and so it was fun. I really enjoyed it. Parents never had to force me to go. Once your teenage years hit, your ballet body started to change. That's where you transferred to becoming more musical theater. But what was that process of like knowing that now you had to change your dream because you didn't have that ballerina image anymore? That was tough. I always say the puberty fairy like just beat me with her magic wand because I just went from being this skinny little twig to literally in one year I went uh, to I squeezed myself into a 34 double D cut bra and you know in, in ballet as we all especially back then you yeah know, this is back in the 80s they wanted that was the 80s was the anorexic era mm. you know so I mean there were girls who were dying literally pushing themselves and I remember seeing these girls in my class there was one girl in particular I still think about her sometimes and wonder if she's alive because she was so anorexic oh. And that was the Balanchine look that ballerinas wanted, right? And so when I started hitting puberty and I was getting all these curves and all of a sudden I don't look like the other girls. And in ballet, they want you to look like the court of ballet. You're supposed yeah. to all look the same. And so I remember my last big year of ballet, I was 17 and I went back to Pacific Northwest Ballet for the summer program. And at the end, 17 is where you're either going to apprentice to the company or not. They always have a meeting with everybody, and I asked her about that. And that had been a rough year for me, if you recall. That was the year my sister passed away from a car accident. And so that experience, losing my sister, you know, I think I put on weight anyways. I think in hindsight, 
I was in some sort of little depression. I don't oh, think I course. realized it at yeah. the time. But I definitely had put on a little bit of weight. But I mean, I was 5'7", I was probably 127 pounds. I wasn't obese. I was still very fit. But I remember at the end of the summer program that I asked about being apprentice, and she said that she, before we could think about that, I would need to lose 15 pounds or get a breast reduction. That was what they told me. As at 17. 17. Yeah. At 17. And so I really remember just feeling like at that moment my dreams of being a ballerina were shattered. Yeah. You know, so it was hard because that's all I ever thought I would be. And I think that year, that threw me. You know, I went through about another year period where I didn't know what to do. Even after graduating high school, you know, I didn't apply to colleges that first year. I didn't, because I didn't know. I just didn't know what I was gonna do. So yeah, that was a rough year and trying to figure out where I would fit in next. You know, I luckily, because of our school that we went to, I had done musical theater. So mm -hmm. that was kind of an option in the back of my head. Yeah. You know, so, so and, and they are more forgiving in musical theater. You can have a figure. You right. You can have a, you know, a bust line. So, so I definitely think that's where my career, you know, ended up going naturally. Yeah. Yeah. I think the uh, male body image is something that's brand new right now that men have to actually think about it. Women have had to think about it their all ever existence. Yours started in your teenage years and now it's you still, now you work in fitness. How has it been having to deal with this horrible body image? It's put on by society, but you also put it on yourself. I mean, how do you deal with that? Because it's rough. You've always struggled with it. Yeah, no, I mean, I struggled with my weight. And I mean, again, I didn't, I was never fat, but I was definitely, I, I struggled within this 10 pound weight range. And on a dancer, that 10 pounds is huge. You well, know? if you're in a leotard. Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. You're in a leotard or a two-piece costume, and God forbid you have any roles and stuff, you know? And so, I mean, literally, there were times that I either, I wouldn't personally, I wouldn't audition for a show if I knew there was a two-piece costume involved because I just, I knew I wouldn't be comfortable and I knew they were looking for a certain type that I wouldn't fit, you know? So you don't even, I wouldn't even audition for it. And then there were other times where I literally, you know, you're replacing somebody sometimes. They're calling in for a replacement, and I can't fit their costume. It mm. literally comes down to that. Like, sorry, you don't fit this costume. You don't get the job, you know. So that kind of stuff, it happened all the time. Yeah. And it really wasn't until my 30s that I started to, that I kind of got, I think I got my weight under control, and I learned how to eat properly and, you know, do all that stuff. But it was like, I was probably 28, 9 before I really figured that out, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Did you deal with eating disorders like anorexic girls did in ballet? No, I love food way too much. Like, <laughs> there was no way I was ever going to be anorexic. I was Good. like, I, I mean, I kind of sometimes thought I would, you know, well, gosh, I wish I could lose weight, but I couldn't do it. I yeah. remember I would try to like not eat for a day and I was like, who the hell can do this? That was just no fun. So no. And I remember some girls did the laxative version, but that's not fun either. No. You know? So no, okay. I, I, you know, I did, I never went that route. I just couldn't do that. It wasn't my thing. So no. So I just kind of stayed a little plumper than some people. Now you have to realize that it's not about your weight. It's about your talent. It's about what you bring into the room as a person. It's easier said than done because right. we look in the mirror and we see it, the roles. We see all our faults. Yes. For sure. Yeah. And so, so you, after we graduated, we both graduated together from SCPA, you went to UCLA and started to pursue more of an acting program. Mm -hmm. Right. And how was, how, what was your training like at UCLA and where did that combine with your dance training? Well, at that point, you know, so I had taken that year, I taken that year off from high school and I did a cruise ship and kind of figured out, you know, what I wanted to do. And when I got back, I remember being very motivated to try and catch up with everybody who had already gone to college. So I did my freshman and sophomore year in one year so that I could transfer to UCLA. And at that point when I'm trying to figure out, you know, what I'm going to go as, not to sound snotty, but I was such a good dancer. 
You know, I mean, there's that's not you really were. Well, there's many things that I will happily tell you. The list is long that I suck at. But the one thing I was really good at was dancing. And going to college for it was almost redundant. I right. thought there's nothing there that they can really teach me that I, you know, don't know. So I didn't want to go for dancing. And I did enjoy acting when we were in high school. But, you know, I dabbled in the acting. And I thought, well, that was fun. I liked it, you know. And I think it kind of came naturally to me. I thought, you know, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to audition for the acting program at UCLA. And I did. I auditioned for it. And I remember, do you remember the audition piece I did? I did Weezer from Steel Bag Oh, yes, you did. <laughs> I decided to do it, play a 75-year-old woman. And, yes. And do a character piece. And I remember you were like, mm, you might want to do something closer to your age. But that was what I prepared. So that's yeah. what I did. And it was great. I mean, I got in, so it was it was good for me because I hadn't done too much acting in high school, so it was really fun to really kind of learn something totally new. Yeah, you know, because I'd been really focusing on dancing before that, so it was really fun to just learn something new and and be creative on on the other side. So yeah, I enjoyed it. You know, that kind of coupled with so I have my acting degree, I have you know this really great uh, background in dance, so the musical theater just makes sense. Absolutely, except for the singing part. You know, which that was like my one Achilles heel. I was so nervous about singing. You know? Well, you know, I think you were also nervous about singing because as a dancer, we're told we can't sing. Right. You're typecast. Even if they believe in you, you're like, oh, you're a dancer. You can't sing. You can't sing. So you were told that your whole life when you hadn't even really been given an opportunity. Right. I hadn't even tried it. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah, you're right. Because they pigeonhole you. Yeah. You're the dancer, you know, so they just pigeonhole you. But then in college, I, I did get to do um, some parts, you know, because I'd never really gotten to do anything outside of ensemble work. Really, Well, yeah. in high school, I did a little bit, but not much. I saw you as Mona and right. Dave's at Sea. Well, and that was my big first, yeah, when I did Mona in college, that was my first time really letting myself just try to sing. Yeah. You know, and it turns out I could sing. That was great. It was still always the, the least of my talents in my head, so I was always still very nervous about it you know so when I moved to New York even still that was always like the part of me that I would get so nervous for the singing parts of the audition well you also have partial hearing loss so that's something else you have to overcome Mm -hmm. as a a singer so the fact that you can sing as well as you can without always hearing so well I think give yourself some credit well you know the thing is is I'm deaf in one ear so I have perfect hearing in my other ear so singing it singing is fine it's harmonizing that I can't do because I can't hear out of my right ear so I always tend to go to whoever's on my left side so harmonizing, still to this day, I, I will like start sweating. If they're like, let's do a four-part harmony. I'm like, oh, God, can I sing the melody? Can I just <laughs> sing the melody, please? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that still makes me sweat, yeah. quite frankly. But, but yeah. you talked about going to college and being motivated. I mean, I can tell for a fact you started college a year after me and you graduated a year before me. <laughs> yes. So uh, <laughs> you were very motivated. You got through that. We actually even lived together for a year of it during the LA riots. Yeah. But because I didn't graduate on time, we're supposed to move to New York City together and you went without me. You <laughs> graduated did. and went and within weeks you were a Radio City Rockette. Yeah, that was my first gig in New York. I mean, how is that? I mean, most people can't land a job in years in New York and you were there for weeks and then it's a legendary Radio City Rockette. I mean, tell me about that. So that was, you know, it's interesting. So yeah, I think I was in New York maybe two and a half, maybe three months when I got the Rockette job. It is interesting because at the time, I don't know if I appreciated being a Rockette, quite frankly. You know, I was a classically trained ballerina. The Rockettes were, to me, more like synchronized cheerleaders, kind of. Do you right. know what I mean? I kind of thought of them more along that line as far than being classically trained dancers. So at the time, it was like, well, I guess, yeah, I mean, it's a good job. It's right. a good paying. It paid well. You know, for me coming out of college, I was like hot diggity. I can actually pay off my student loans. And, and I started doing, um, they had a national tour at the time, the Rockettes. So I actually started on the tour for about six months. 
and then I joined the line in New York City. The tour I, I wasn't really thrilled with, but performing at Radio City Music Hall, now that was much more special. You know, it's a, I mean, that place, the, the place itself is so legendary. You know, and the first time I stepped on the Radio City Music Hall stage, I remember like my breath being taken away because you were literally performing in front of 6,000 oh. people. Yes. That's so amazing. But, but it was a little creatively stifling being a Rockette mm -hmm. because you're just one of 36. There's absolutely no individuality allowed. You know, literally, I would get notes all the time. Juliet, your leg's too high. Juliet, your hand's out of place. Juliet, don't pop you know the head, I mean? Cassie. Yeah, totally. Don't pop the head, Cassie. Like, you had to, to not stand out. Right. And I'm such a stage whore. I want to just be me and stand out and find my little ways, and you can't. And so it was a little creatively stifling in that respect. It was a great job, and now in hindsight, I appreciate being part of the institution, because it is. It's an American icon. Oh, yes. And it's so funny, because one thing people say about me, you know, I mean, I could have a billion credits on my resume, but they go, oh, but she was a rockette. Oh, yeah. That's the one thing I'm known for. I think that's funny, because for me, that was not actually, you know, I could tell you six other things on my resume that I'm more proud of. But that's the one recognizable thing that people really latch on to. Well, because it's very American. So yeah. people like that. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite things about you is your bluntness and your honesty. I mean, a lot of people would be like, oh my God, hashtag grateful. I was a rockette. But the fact that you were able to say, this is the difficulties that come with this great job, I think mm -hmm. is nice. I mean, you've always been really honest with to me about everything. But I see how you are in life. And that's that also comes as, as a curse too, because some people don't want to hear the truth. Oh yeah, I think I probably burned a few bridges. <laughs> I'm quite sure there are some people who don't appreciate my honesty, but I can't help it. You know, I mean, I just, I have a hard time lying. You know, I always say if, if you want somebody to tell you that you're doing a great job and you look beautiful, you might want to ask somebody else. If you want the truth, I'll tell you the truth yeah. because that's the kind of friend I want. You know what I mean? I want somebody who's going to tell me the truth. Although sometimes I will call you if I just want to hear something really nice because you're really good at saying nice things. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> I'll be like, Brad, I'm having a tough day. And you'll tell me I'm fabulous. Well, say, okay. well, you are. I don't love choreographing, but I used to. And when I used to love choreographing, I used to love choreographing for you and on you. So, because you were like the, one of, like my favorite dancers ever. You know what I mean? Aw, thanks. So, so you left Radio City and you uh, didn't leave it, but you joined a competing Christmas show mm -hmm. and you did the Christmas Carol at Madison Square Garden for Mike Ockrent and Susan Stroman. Correct. And I remember you covered one of the best dance roles at the time that goes to Christmas Future. Mm -hmm. But one of the big things in that show is tapping. And tapping was, of all of your dancing, that was your biggest insecurity. So how was, how was that whole experience in working with Strowman and having to tap one at a time during rehearsals? Well, you know what's so funny is that, because, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I didn't, the only reason I took tap was because we had to in high school. Yeah. Miss Patty was our tap teacher, and I had to take it. And I, I've never liked it. I've always hated tap. I mean, it's just not my thing. But I was actually decent at it. At least as far as being in a group. You know what I mean? If you ask me to do a solo, you're going to hear a bunch of air tapping. But I mean, I can do the footwork and I can do it pretty okay. And I laugh. And I tell my students now when I teach classes, I'm like, you need to diversify because I hated tapping. And can I tell you, I got almost all my major productions on my resume are from tapping because I, I knew how to. Yeah. I might not have been stellar, but the fact that I could do ballet, jazz, and I can tap too, mm -hmm. you know what I mean, was just gave me one more notch. So yeah, I and, and it's funny because I remember we had to, for Stroman, we had to do a tap break for the audition. Probably still do it now if I needed to. And it was this one tricky little combination. And I remember I did it and I did it flawlessly. And I'm sure it was a fluke because if you'd asked me to do it again, I probably was screwed up so badly, but I did it great. And I was like, woo! Thank you, Jesus, because 
and that was it. She and she had us go down the line, and I did oh. mine. I did it great, and she was like, oh, okay, and she moved on to the next girl. And I thought, Phew. yep, because yeah, because you know she was kind of known for her witch hunts. You know, she would mm. go and just keep you doing it until you got it right. So the fact that I got right in the first try, I was like, thank you, God. Yeah. But then you did a tap solo for her on film in Crazy for You. Oh God, yes, that was my nightmare. Yeah, because then Crazy for You, they needed a toe tapper, right? So they, of course, because I had just covered Ghost of Christmas Future, which was a point dancer. And they knew I could tap. So in their minds, oh, she does point and she taps. Perfect. Perfect. Because that, everyone does that. Because everybody toe taps. <laughs> what? I mean, who toe taps? And, you know, those two things don't go together. You know, point work, you have to have very strong ankles. And, and then in tap, you're supposed to, your ankles are supposed to be loose, right? So for me, I could not figure out how to put those two things together. And so at the audition, they asked us, you know, who toe taps? And I did not raise my hand. I was like, mm-mm. But I saw the dance captain knew I did all this stuff. And he was like, oh, and he's pointing at me. And I'm thinking, no, no, not me. I don't want this part. Sure enough, they gave me that part. But we had about nine weeks before we had to film it. And it had to be on film. And I was sweating bullets trying to get these rolling shuffles that we mm. had to do on point. I was doing them in rehearsal. And strobing stroke came up to me. And she said, you're missing something. And I said, well, is it this? And I said it with my mouth. I said, ba-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da
And so instead of doing tournament splits, I stood, I stood center stage and I grabbed my leg and I slowly took it completely over my head and then I let it hinge down very slowly. I took all two counts at eight to do that one movement. And I saw Annie look at my resume and pull it forward and just point at it. And I was like, yes. And it's funny because my friend Paul is the, was the assistant casting director. You know Paul. Oh, Paul, yes. And he, so he told me, he, he said it recently, he said that was one of my favorite auditions to watch because he's like, it was just one of those moments, you know, where you know, like, I got the job. Like, you kind of knew right then, you know. And sure enough, I got the call the next day that they wanted me for Chicago, not Fosse. Not. But they had an opening in Chicago. Well, I think that's amazing, too, that sometimes you don't realize that these casting directors and choreographers, they have a lot of projects going mm-hmm. on. So you're walking in for one, you might not get it, but they might have written something down on your resume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So it gets seen. And so, yeah, I joined the company, I think, uh, in a week and a half later. I was ending Christmas Carol, so I had to go between the two. But yeah, I, I went out on the road for that. And I think I went out for about six months that first time around. And I was the swing. I started out as a swing on that show. Oh. Which was good and bad. I mean... It's fun because you get to play all six parts, yeah. but it's bad because you're not on stage every night. And I, I'm, like I said, I'm, I like to be on stage. Yeah. So yeah, that part was a little boring being not on stage, but it was fun that I got to cover all six parts. Yeah. yeah. And then when I went back out on the tour, then I went in and I stepped into the role of June after that. It's probably, I, I, those two shows, Crazy If You Go in Chicago, I think are my favorite two shows that I've ever done. And I could do those shows until I'm blue in the face and not get bored. Yeah. I mean, you know how it is. There are certain shows that you get bored in the first week of doing it, Yeah. you know, and the other shows that you can just run forever forever yeah and you've got to play Thelma recently and then also you got to go to Sacramento so it's definitely mm-hmm. been in your life yeah and it's what's great about it is you know thank god they they let you be older in that show yes so, exactly you know you can still think that I can still do that one yeah. you made your Broadway debut in on the town at the Gershwin mm-hmm. the night of your Broadway debut you were actually singing a, a solo which after all your fears about singing mm-hmm. but the night of your Broadway debut was also the day of the closing notice was super fun. So, I mean, how is that? A dream come true and your heart's broken within the same minute, same week. I mean, you can't write this stuff. No. Like, seriously, people would be like, it's not true, it didn't happen. Yeah, that was awesome. Because, yeah, I got the part. I remember I was so excited. I got in the show and I had two weeks of rehearsing because I was a replacement. So I rehearsed on my own with the dance captain. And then, yeah, my first put in, my first night, they called everybody to the stage. And I remember thinking, oh, they're gonna welcome me into the show. This is so great, how sweet of them. And they were like, George C. Wolf was there. And he was like, yeah, guys, so we got our closing notice. Um, yeah, bummer, you know, he, everybody's just like so depressed at that point. The whole cast is like, you know, in tears. And he's like, oh, and it's Juliet's first night. So have a good show. <laughs> I was like, great, awesome. But yeah. then you got to go on the first national of Kathy Marshall, Kiss Me Kate. Yeah. I remember I, I drove up to see it, your first preview, no, your final dress in Hartford. Oh, uh, okay, that's right. Um, I mean, it was, I mean, I loved it on Broadway, but the, the tour version was amazing and you stayed with it for quite a while. Well, we all did, yeah. That was one of the last, I think, I'm not sure what's going on on Broadway nowadays, but it was one of the last true production contracts yeah. for national tours. I think after that they had, they changed all the contracts. So it was a really good show to get as far as, you know, you make good money and you're on the road, you get per diem and all that stuff. But on that, during the run of that show, um, 9-11 happened. Oh. And that was about, because I don't think any of us planned to stay for that long. You know, you think, oh, I'll do my six-month writer and I'll come home. Yeah. But um, 9-11 happened about three or four months into our run and there was no Broadway to come home to. Yeah. You know, Broadway got hit so hard. Shows were closing left and right. There, nobody was going to the houses. So I probably, I would be curious to find out, I mean, our company stayed almost intact. It was a 13-month run. 
13 mm. months, over a year. And I'm, we think maybe we replaced three people wow. in 13 months because there was nothing to go home to. You know, you really, there was, what was the point? Yeah. So yeah, I think most of us played that entire show out. Because as much as, I mean, that show was beautiful. My track in particular was not a, a huge track, you know. So normally I think I might have started looking for other work, but there was just, like I said, there was nothing to go to. So, so I played that sucker out. Huh. I ran the whole run. But you did take a vacation during that I run. I did take a and, vacation. And what happened on that vacation that you took? <laughs> so yeah, we had a one-week hiatus that for some reason was not booked on the tour. Mm. And I had sublet in my apartment in New York, so I had nothing to go home to. So my girlfriend and I, Kimberly Don Newman, and I were like, well, let's just go on a vacation together. So we went to Club Med, the Club Med in Turks and Caicos in the Caribbean. And we were taking, they, Club Meds, they have these flying trapeze classes. And so, you know, why not? Of course we're going to take that class. So we're taking this class, and there's this really cute guy who's um, also in the class with us. And it was interesting because, you know, I could tell he was really coordinated. I was watching him up there going, wow, he's really good at this. Lo and behold, he, he had used to teach the Flying Trapeze Act Club Med when he was 19. His name was Doug Shoeline, and it's been 14 years now, and we are married with two kids. Well, I think that is amazing. Uh, he was actually, I, I was here last year, and he was like, you know what, Juliet's going through something. She would be really great to interview for your podcast. So that's where this podcast changes, because the girl that we just talked about is gone. Right now, you have a completely new, just as, just as important and just as difficult career, and that is motherhood. Mm-hmm. And you made a very smart decision to leave New York City, marry this wonderful man. I, I was your person of honor in the wedding. Yes, you were. And have two kids. But you gave up all of that. And that, I mean, that was definitely the right decision. We were talking earlier, you even converted to Judaism. In your blog that I read, you talked about being a very selfish person as actors in general. Mm-hmm. And you went from selfish to selfless very fast. So how was that transition? Because, uh, I mean, even though it was a smart one and the right one, it was still difficult. It was really hard. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. That would, I mean, like I said, actors as, as a whole, we're selfish people yeah. because we are our own business. You know, that's just how we are. And so to go from selling yourself and everything's being about you to nothing's about you anymore, you know, because the second you have that baby, it is all about them yeah. and rightfully so, you know, it needs to be about them. But that is, it was really hard to, to go through that transition. And it was a big, you know, because it happened really fast for my husband. I, we literally met. We were engaged 10 months after we met. We were married six months after that. And we were pregnant on our honeymoon. So it was like, bam, bam, bam. Yeah. You know, so within a year and a half, I was married with a baby. And living in suburbia. <laughs> like, going from Manhattan to, I mean, we're talking suburbia. was That was actually almost harder than anything. Not being around my people, my right. tribe. You know, yeah. I mean, we're such a colorful performers. They're so colorful and out there and honest and crazy and goofy. And that's not your general PTA type, you know. I mean, it's just they're it's just different, yeah. you know. And it's all about their kids. It's so everything is so much about your children. And and it was yeah, it was really um, a hard transition. It was. Um, I definitely that first uh, six months of, of just being a mom was so overwhelming for me. And you lose so much of yourself. You know, I used to dress up every day. I used to wear heels. I didn't own flats. You know, I yeah. didn't own a pair of flats. None. Zippo, you know. And so Even I'll, today, you were like, oh, you're coming over. I'll shower for you. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's a big day. It's like, <laughs> hey, I am showered, and it's, it's like 12. <laughs> Woo! So, yeah, I'm putting on makeup. All, you know, all of a sudden, you just, I wasn't putting on makeup. I wasn't, you know, because it was just... Putting on false eyelashes. 
yeah, who's got time for lipstick? You know, so it was a huge transition. It really was. And, but it happens almost, I mean, it happened quick in a way, but sometimes it was also so subtle. You didn't notice it, you know, cause you're so overwhelmed with parenting and trying to keep up with the Joneses and all that stuff that you don't notice the transition as much yeah. until later. And all of a sudden in hindsight, you look back and you're like, wow. I used to be that person. I used to look like that and dress like that and do all that stuff. And now here I am. And, you know, I think we talked about in my blog that I, I realized how much I had given up. Mm -hmm. And not that I regret it, but it's it was like mourning the loss of a person, you know, because I, I had given up that Juliet Fisher. Yeah. You know, I really did. That Juliet Fisher, the crazy performer who traveled all over the world and had all these amazing, crazy experiences. I wasn't her anymore. I was mom. Yeah. And it's a wonderful thing. You know, I mean, mom is fantastic. Oh, yeah. I think that's one reason why I wanted to definitely interview you because as much as the ensemble can be underappreciated, so can motherhood. Oh, yeah. Talk about the backbone. Yeah. You know, I mean, the backbone of a family. Yes. You know what I mean? It's a very good similarity there because we are the, you know, I'm not even the breadwinner. I'm not the one like my husband who goes out and makes the money. You know, I, I can't say that. All the stuff I do is the stuff behind the scenes. Yeah. Just like what you're talking about. So it's all the behind the scenes stuff that doesn't generally get the glory. Yep. Because even the most active fathers, their bodies don't change. Their like their life doesn't change as much as a woman does. Mm -hmm. You know, even if they end up being the primary caretaker, it still wasn't their body that the baby was in. So right. women just have like this unfortunately and fortunately thing that they have to do and getting their body back in shape. Because I don't know how you do it. Your body's better than it was at that seventeen-year-old girl that you were complaining about earlier. Mm. Your body's <laughs> like, I mean, a rock star, and you're in your somewhere. In your I'm 40s. forty-four. I'll just say it, okay? I'm forty-four. I'll be forty-five in two weeks. Good lord! And you're, you look unbelievable. I'm actually accepting my age too. But yeah, no, I my mom it. was even saying that she's like those pictures on Facebook. She looks fantastic. <laughs> You've had two kids, and you're running around. Now you teach. You weren't able to do that for years. It was all about being a mom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't able to do anything for me for a long time. You yeah. know, I mean, I would do. I would try it. I would still dabble here and there when I could. You know, and it was so good. You know, it was so funny. You, I feel like you would get out with with adults, and I and I couldn't shut up. I wouldn't stop talking because I was like, I'm talking with adults. You know, <laughs> yay. Yeah, I never, I didn't do anything major for me yeah. for a long time, you know. And then this teaching fitness kind of fell in my lap. Um, honestly, it just, I just, because I had to. You know, my husband and I, we own gyms. That's what we do. And our instructor got sick. And so we didn't have anybody to teach this dance fitness class. And yeah. so I thought, well, okay, I can do that, you know. It wasn't something I was looking for. It just kind of fell in my lap. But it turns out that I, I enjoyed it. I yeah. really did. Because I was already doing it for myself, you know, to just stay healthy. Yeah. But then I found out that I was good. I was good in front of the class. You know, I mean, come on, You're I'm a performing. performer, and it's like I got a captive audience. It I was took like, your class, and it's yeah. Like, I was dead that last fifteen minutes. I thought I was gonna die, and I saw videos of your kids taking it, and they were doing better than I was. <laughs> I was like, it's. I mean, it's pretty impressive your classes. But it's fun, and honestly, I mean, I get to perform a little bit. I mean, you saw me. I'm kind of yeah. crazy and kooky, and I get their energy up. You know what I mean? Because if I'm not having fun, they're not having fun. It's the same thing as performing. Yeah. You know, if you're not enjoying yourself on stage, then neither is the audience. And so that's how my class is. It's you know, you get a little bit of you get cardio. Um, you get me singing sometimes in there. You know, I mean, it's just a a, a fun way for people to exercise. And I think it shows because I mean, I have gotten a following now and people like me, they like my class. It's right. not just, oh, I'm gonna go take a dance class. I'm gonna take Juliet's dance class, yeah. you know? So yeah, that fell into my lap. And that helped me out in more ways than just being physically active. It helped me out in the fact that I, I am earning some money now. I do mm -hmm. have a business of my own. Because when I married, what, part of losing myself was the fact that I supported myself. 
I supported myself through college. You know, I put myself through college. You supported yourself a lot in high school. Yeah. You um, were a ballsy chick. Yeah. So, I mean, so for me to all of a sudden be dependent upon my husband was really hard. Yeah. You know, I think people think, oh, they're so lucky they sit back and eat bonbons and watch soap operas. But it was really hard for me to give up that independence and have my handout for money to my husband. I've never asked for a handout. You know what I mean? I, mm-hmm. I always supported myself, and that was really hard. When I started teaching... I just felt it just helped me feel better about mm-hmm. myself because I knew I was at least supporting myself. You know, right. I make enough money doing my classes and teaching that I am contributing to my family financially as well. It's still I'm still the stay-at-home mom. I'm still doing all their stuff. Yeah. But I'm helping out financially. Is it, you know, am I paying the total rent of our house? No, but I'm helping out. Yeah. And that just kind of helped ease me, ease my my I don't know, almost guilt about it, you know. So no, it's been a really good experience teaching my fitness classes and and also, I get the the bonus of of helping people get healthy, and you know, yeah. I really do. I have people who've lost a lot of weight in my classes, and they, you know, this is how I they stay healthy, and that makes me feel good. I'm actually changing people's lives in that way. Oh, this is great. Yeah. And and one thing in your blog, you kept talking about like, oh, I, I'm going to get back in. I'm going to get back into auditioning. I'm gonna get back into auditioning. And you said you went to an audition and uh, you didn't uh, really I tanked. You tanked. Yeah, but I also know that you do do some regional theaters, and you've also done a lot of uh, community services with the, your area and benefit. Even though that's not getting financial help, really, because it's—I mean—you don't get paid that much or anything. <laughs> it's theater. You, it's theater, Brad. We don't get paid much. Yes. <laughs> do you, I mean, is it filling that void that you're missing? That that self that you felt like was gone? Are you able to like say, yes, this is coming back? Yeah, you know, I mean, to some degree, I don't need to work full-time. I don't want to work full-time because I, I, I don't want to miss my children's uh, upbringing. You know, that's always been my struggle. You know, I, I could have tried to stay in the business this whole time. Um, I live 45 minutes south of L.A., and that's without traffic. So for me, I mean, I did try it first, you know, but going up to L.A., it was two hours each way, and I have to get a babysitter, and then I'm missing so much of my kids' lives. And yeah. Could I have kept doing it? Yeah, Absolutely. I just, I made the choice I didn't want to. I didn't want to lose that much of my kids' upbringing. Now, doing the, the couple of shows, like right now, I always do this charity show every year called Chalk Follies. And I mean, you honestly don't have to have any talent to be in it. It just so happens that I happen to have done this professionally. So for me, it's a fantastic outlet. I'm at the point now where, you know, my dreams used to be big. Like I wanted to be on Broadway. I wanted to, you know, do all these things. And um, so I've had to alter those dreams too. I just want to perform. Yeah. And I mean, at this point in my life, I just need it for me, the accolades, just to get out there and just you know get my yayas out and perform for people. I don't care right now if I'm getting paid. I don't care if I'm on Broadway. I don't care about that aspect. I just want to perform. Right. So being able to do these little community productions is perfect for me because I get to still be at home with my kids, have dinner with my family, and then go do these shows, and I'm a big fish in a little pond down yeah. here. So I get to do the parts I like to do, or the more fun parts, and, and people think I'm fantastic because I don't, I'm not up against the Broadway competition out here. Right. You know? So it's, it actually works out really well for me right now. Well, that, well, that's because you are fantastic. Well, thanks, yeah. The old Juliet Fisher, before she was shoe line, she was so confident and zealous. You actually called up casting directors sometimes and were like, hey, did I get the part? That let me know because I, I need to know now. And now, sitting across from you, you talk about that you're sometimes you're riddled with fear and anxiety. And did that come on with motherhood, with age, or what's what's different? Because I don't remember you being anxious at all. Well, I think it's motherhood because um, I'm anxious about my kids. Yeah, you know what I mean. If anything has to do with me, that's where I'm more ballsy because I can handle it. I can handle me. Juliet Fisher can handle 
lots of stuff. You know, I mean, I've got really thick skin. I've been through a lot. You know, I've taken rejection of being a theater performer. Yeah. I, I'm good at that. I'm good at rejection. I'm not good at anything hurting my children, anything harming my children, you know. So that part, um, that's where my anxiety comes in, is definitely from being a parent. Yeah. Wholeheartedly. And because I, I lived through my sister dying. So I, that was such a monumental um, thing in my life. You know, when, when Camille died... Um, I always say it wasn't the the losing my sister that was the hardest thing. It was watching my father lose a child Mm. was the really hardest thing. And so I I know what that's like, and I can't unsee that. You know, I think so many people live in ignorant bliss because they just think it's never going to happen to them, Right. right? But I've seen it happen. I've seen a parent lose their child. And that is, I live with that fear every day. So that is where my anxiety comes from because I'm so fearful. I mean, my kid gets a hangnail and I'm like, oh my God, we have to go to the emergency room. You know, I just, I, and I'm neurotic about it and I know it. I mean, I, I realize I'm neurotic about it, but, um, but anything that has to do with my kids, just, I don't want them to be hurt. I don't want anybody to hurt them. I don't want anything to happen to them. I am, I talk about a helicopter parent. I mean, you can hear me coming in from a mile away. It's like, yeah. I am a horrible helicopter parent, but I don't make excuses for it. It's because of that. I know it's because of that past. No, it's and makes sense. That's just who I am, and my kids are going to be in therapy, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, you know, got to give them something to tell their therapist. Um, <laughs> you know, so yeah, that's where my anxiety comes from. Well, it makes sense. Like one of the times I was here uh, I had a couple years ago, we're at like a family dinner, and Cole, your youngest, you asked how his day was. And he was like, oh, we had a fire drill, we had an earthquake drill, and we had an intruder alert drill. Oh, yes. And I'd never heard of that. And you, I, he just explained to me what it was. And I, would, I was having anxiety for mm-hmm. that because they have intruder alert drills at schools. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it kind of makes sense. But and I, as a parent, you're helpless. You are helpless. If something happens to my child, you know, if something happens to me, I can control it. Yeah. Or at least to a degree. I control how I react to it. I can't control what happens to my kids when they're not away from me. Yeah. So, yeah, stuff like that. Can you imagine? No. I always say if I ever wrote a biography, it would be, it would be called Worst Case Scenario. Because I literally go through the worst case scenario. I, like, I'm, I could be on the, uh, on the CIA because I walk into a room and I like <laughs> scope it out. I'm like, okay, where are the exits? What's going to happen if there's a fire? I'm going to go through that window. Like, I mean, I like do that wherever I go because I need to know how to save my children. Yeah, and that's what I have to do constantly, and it drives my husband crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just my neuroses. I have to do. Yeah, it. we grew up in an now. age where like you could ride in the back of a pickup truck, and be, yeah, I mean it was very, very different. But now there's just social media and internet that there's just a lot. More, there's more to be scared of. Yeah. For sure. And intruder alerts. Yeah. You know, that... I mean, it's crazy. That is crazy. So your oldest son goes to performing arts school, just like we did. Yeah. His major is ballroom, which mm-hmm. I think is really cool. Yeah. So are you a little bit Mama Rose? Where where uh, where do you fall in with this? I actually am trying really hard not to be a backstage mom. You know, I don't want to... I don't want to push my kids. Because honestly, the arts is a hard business. Yes. Do you know what I mean? So that's a part of me that doesn't want them to go into the arts. I love the arts and I want them to appreciate it, but I'd much rather they were a doctor. You know what I mean? Because... It's a hard road. So no, I don't think I'm Mama Rose. I just, and I have to stop myself. I have to bite my tongue and I just say, fabulous job. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm not there to pick him apart. I'm not there to say, well, you could have done that better. You know, right. I don't want to be that parent. 
he did, you know, he, whatever he wants to do. If he wants to really get fantastic at ballroom, great. If this is just his little side hobby, I'm okay with that too. Yeah. You know. So no, I don't. I don't think I'm a backstage mom. We'll see. Time will tell. Yeah, definitely. Maybe I'll get worse. Yeah. I don't know. You have such a great marriage. You have such great kids. And do you regret at all making that decision, or how much? I mean, I obviously the answer is gonna be no, but I I have to ask the question because right. you gave up. I mean, you don't really know where your career was going. You made your Broadway debut and the show closed. You could have continued, but you. You chose a different path that is flourishing, but there is like, do you, how much regret or do you miss it? Or are you going to say, oh, as soon as they graduate college, I'm going to go back and be a character actress? Well, so yeah, there's, I don't know if regret's the right, right word. I'm, um, you know, I look back because I left when I was 30, 30. I left when I was 30 years old. Now, as a female dancer, I and at the caliber that I was, I should say, because I was a very good female dancer singer, I could have had an easy five to eight years more. Yeah, you know what I mean. They're for sure. I still have some friends who are still in the business right now. You know who are my caliber. So I look at them and I think that could have been me. You know, I could have had. And I feel like too, I was also as I was leaving New York, I was really just getting into where all the casting directors knew my name. I was getting called into all the you know direct calls and things like that. So, so I could have had some really good years and done a lot more, you know, so I do look back on that sometimes and think I left at the peak, you know, right. which is a little troubling because unfortunately I can never get these years back. You know, right. I'm 44 now. I'm not going to go back to Broadway and get a role as a dancer anyways. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're not, they're not looking for girls my age right now. So I can never get that back. So that's a little sad because if I was just, if we're just talking about acting, straight acting. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I can, you know, oh, I can leave it for now and come back to it later. You can't do that with dance. No. It's just, it's done, you know? And so that part of it is a little sad. I just, I'm sometimes sad that I, I didn't go a little further with my dancing career. But I can't, obviously can't regret, you know, anything that has oh, to do with no. being a parent. It was definitely the right choice. And so when I do get my chances to perform, you know, two years ago, was it two or three years ago now? I can't remember. I got the chance to go back and do Chicago again up at Sacramento Music Circus. And that was so much fun for me, you know, to be able to go back. I was 41 or two. So, I mean, you know, I wasn't a pup. No. And I was thinking, I'm going to be the old lady in this show. But you know what? I look good. You do. And I, you know, I still got a six o'clock ponche. And I mean, I felt so good doing that production. And it was with all my peers who were fantastic, fabulous people too. You know, this wasn't just a little teeny production. This was a big production. And it felt so good. And I thought, okay, you know, I still, I, mama's still here. Yeah. Mama's still here. I'm still here. You know, so that was good for me. It was really good for me to do that. And I do feel like, yeah, you know what? I might start dabbling it more as my kids are older. And definitely when they, when I'm an empty nester, for sure. I'm, yeah. I'm going back. You know, there's no reason why I can't. I mean, I'm not going back huge. I'm not moving to New York again, but I'll totally, yeah. I can't stop. No. Well, you got to do Cassie and Chorus Line and Lola. And Dan Yankee. So, I mean, you've done some of the regional theaters in Southern California. Yeah. So, I mean, you're definitely still dabbling. Yeah, I'm definitely dabbling. And, yeah, if I'm doing the character roles or whatever, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I, I can't give it up. It's just part of who I am. So, yeah, yeah for sure. Because well, I think what I'm finding now is sometimes finding your happiness isn't the same happiness that we thought when we were 14 or 15. Exactly. The girl I knew and was training with to be on Broadway, I would have never thought would be a mother let alone be an amazing mother, you have to realize that sometimes your dreams change. Yeah. 
for sure. And like I said, now my goals are different. Now I just want to perform, you yeah. know. And if that means, you know, right now I still dabble with, um, do I give up my equity card? You know, I still have my equity card. Yeah. But there's not a lot of equity theater out here. Yeah, I, I give up my equity card and I just do small, tiny theater that keeps me happy. Yeah. You know, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Maybe I go back up to L.A. I don't know. Yeah. But I'm not done. No. Not done. I, you know, this this job is about reinventing yourself, right? Yes, it is. That's what you know. You've done it for sure. Yeah. You know, you've gone into care, more character roles now. You know, you have to reinvent yourself. You go back on the other side of the table. You choreograph. You whatever it is. Yeah. And so I'm not sure what my next reinvention will be, but but I'm 45. I will be 45 next week. I'm gonna live to be 110. Okay, like I got a lot of years left. Yeah. It's not like I can just say, oh, I'm retired now. No, what no. am I going to do with the next 50 years? Yeah. No, I'm not retired. No. You know, I'm retired for that one aspect. Yeah. So now I got to figure out, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? Yeah. If you could pick uh, two highlights, one in your career and one in your life that have just been amazing, besides meeting your husband on the trapeze. Hi, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> what would it be? Highlights in my career? You know, I've had a couple, but we probably already talked about them. I mean, I think for me, getting Chicago, like I said, honestly, that audition for Chicago was, was like just one of those moments where I knew I nailed it. You yeah. Know, th that feeling of like, yeah, I got it. That was probably one of my favorites, for sure. And, and just doing that show in general. I love that show. And then for personal life, I mean, of course, it's going to be motherhood. You yeah. know, that having a baby. I remember after I had my first son, I mean, truly, you feel like a rock star. You're like, I made that. I made that <laughs> in my stomach. Nobody, no man can say that. No. You know, I mean, it's just a woman that can say that. And I remember feeling invincible after, really, after I had him. I was like, I can do anything. Yeah. I just, I just birthed that child. You know, so yeah, parenting is for sure. And it's so difficult parenting, but it is definitely the most special thing. And I think, like I said, I think more so for women because oh yeah, we have that ability to create, physically create, do that. And then to see your child growing and, and turning into this little human being is, it's amazing. Mm. It's amazing. Those are... Well, they're amazing, and you're amazing. So thank you so much for doing this. I'm thank so, you. so glad you agreed, and I got to come up and visit you. I know. I end these podcasts with a song. So what song would you pick to end this podcast with? You know, it's so funny. Out of all the songs I know and do, the one that keeps coming in my head, which I feel like I'm too young to sing, but in a way I think it is applicable, is just I'm Still Here from Follies. Yes. You know, I've been through good times and bad times and, you know, all that whole thing, but I'm still here. That's meant for a much older person to sing yeah. than me. But like I said, I've been through so much and I've already had to reimagine myself uh, quite a few times. So, yeah, I feel like I've lived this big, full life and I'm only 45. So I feel like I'm still here. Yeah. You know, like I said, I, I still have way more to do. I've got way more living and careers ahead. You know, I still don't know what I'm going to be when I grow up. Yeah. I, I keep saying that because... I got a lot to do. Well, yeah, I've been through a lot, but I'm still here. Yay! Thank you. Good times and bum times. I've seen them all in my dear. I'm still here. Pretty velvet sometimes. Sometimes just pretzels and beer. But I'm here. I've stuffed the dailies in my shoes. Strummed ukuleles. Sung the blues, seen all my dreams disappear, but I'm here. I've slept in shanties, guests off the WPA, but I'm here. 
danced in my scanties. Three bucks a night was the pay. But I'm here. I've stood on bread lines with the best. Watched while the headlines did the rest. In the depression was I depressed. Nowhere near. I met a big financier. And I'm here. I've gotten through Herbert and Jay and Gee, that was one and a half. When you've been through Herbert and Jay and anything else is a laugh. I've been through Reno. I've been through Beverly Hills, and I'm here. Reefers and vino, rest cures, religion and pills, but I'm here. Been called a pinko, commie tool, got through it stinko by my pool. I should have gone to an acting school, that seems clear. Still someone said she's sincere, so I'm here. Like Sable one day, next day it goes into hawk. But I'm here. Top billing Monday, Tuesday you're touring in stock. But I'm here. First you're another slow-eyed vamp. From Korea to Korea. I'm almost through my memoirs and I'm here. I've gotten through Hey Lady, aren't you? Who, who's this? Wow, what a looker you were. Or better yet, sorry, I thought you were. Who, who's this? Whatever happened to her? I'm all in my dear I'm still here Crush velvet sometimes Sometimes just pretzels and beer But I'm here I've run 